from the CSI Today News Desk at the College of Staten Island. Welcome to the CSI Today Talks Podcast with your hosts, David Pizzuto and Terry Manns. The CSI Today Talks Podcast is your connection to the College of Staten Island with the newsmakers that make it happen. From world-renowned faculty and staff, dynamic students, and community leaders, stay connected to CSI with CSI Today Talks. And now, here is your host, Terry Mayers. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the CSI Today Talks podcast on CSIToday.com or from wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Terry Mayers, co-host of CSI Today Talks, here to bring you the latest episode, Season 2, Episode 24. Today, we're talking with Jody Marandino, Director of Dining Services at CSI. But before we get to Jody, we want to remind you to make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Co-host David Pizzuto and I will look to bring you new episodes often. Like this episode coming up, all of our episodes are available via our archive on Anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, from our website at www.csitoday.com, or from wherever you found us today. So let's get right into it. Thanks for joining us today, Jody. How are you? I'm doing well, Terry. It's nice to uh, get a chance to speak with you again. It's been a while. Yep, it has. Why don't we start off by you telling me a bit about your history at CSI? So 1990 is when I first started at CSI. At that time, the campus was located at the Sunnyside campus, which is now the Petriti School. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was working as the assistant manager and quickly took over the role of cook over there because the cook quit soon after (laughs) I joined the team and was doing both for a bit. And once we moved over to this campus, which was, I think, like 1994, So my job kind of um, exploded from there because it was such a small community college atmosphere and moving over and establishing the dining services from basically grassroots uh, really enabled us auxiliary services to make it our own. And ever since we've been here, it's kind of continued to grow as our student population grew and as the dorms started to get added and enrollment started to grow and we just kept growing and changing along with them and fast forward to 2023 and I am still here. (laughs) Happily, I hope. (laughs) Yes. Okay. My home away from home. Why don't you give us a brief overview of what Dining Services does at CSI? We'll get into the particulars later, but just in general. Well, we provide food service and hospitality for the entire campus community, uh, obviously starting with our students, staff, and faculty, Mm -hmm. but also to guests and visitors and uh, for special events that take place on the campus. So that is from your basic food service operations. People call us the cafeteria. I've tried to get everybody to refer to us as campus dining. That sounds better. But (laughs) cafeteria still seems to stick somehow. So that and then the cyber cafe is kind of like a a more smaller satellite version of food service operation where we provide at this time eat in and take out food services. And uh, we have our meal plans, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about later Mm -hmm. for our res hall students and other students who want to partake. Special events catering. We oversee all the vending operations on campus as well. And don't want to be blowing up all my spots for the end of 
as we go on with this podcast, but also community partnering with local food service owner operators to help us add more variety for our students on campus over and above what we're able to do. Now, you mentioned you got in basically on the ground floor of dining services at CSI when you uh, came to this campus and mentioned some of the changes and the growth that's happened between then and now. Could you discuss some of those changes and the way dining services has morphed over the years? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, just because of the size of our campus and how spread out that it is, when we first moved over, obviously we had to change drastically because of just how much more space there was to work within. I don't know if you if you remember the uh, Sunnyside campus was kind of more like a high school setting mm-hmm. and just physically moving over to um, so much more square footage and, you know, just learning how to navigate in the new space was quite a challenge at the beginning. And as far as morphing, I would say with any food industry, you have to move and change with the culture and the times in terms of what's hot, what is trending in the food trends. Following along, for example, you know, there's a period of time where everybody wants to have vegan food available. And then fast forward a couple of years, nobody's talking about that now. Everybody wants to have air fried food. And then people want to have some sort of cross-cultural, we want more Asian-style food, we need kosher food. So, you know, just as the landscape of the students and the community changes, so food changes. So we always have to keep our finger on the pulse of what's trending and what's popular and um, try to move along and keeping up and sometimes even trying to be ahead of the curve so that we can be perceived as relevant that, you know, hey, look what we have going on and and maybe even starting some trends with some of the stuff that we can provide. And of late, we've been doing some customer service surveys, mostly with our dorm students, because they're the ones that use our services uh, most frequently to really get a handle on what are we doing well, what are we doing not so well, and what should we be doing? And because of those answers that we got from our students, that was the catalyst for us to seek out and to get uh, a hand chef on site hand rolled sushi program that we now have. And so that came from, you know, student requests. So really, I mean, moving and changing and growing, you know, as the population grows and ebbs as it did all through COVID, it was, Mm -hmm. don't know if you want to talk about that because that was some serious changes (laughs) that that took place quite quickly and just doing what we need to do to uh, be here for the folks who need us on campus. Okay, why don't you discuss a little bit about what happened during COVID? So because we still had many students living uh, in the residence halls even after the campus closed down. So there was a period of time, I think we had about 80 students who had to wait to be relocated, some of them to different CUNY campuses and others to maybe back home, wherever home may be. Some, I guess some of them were international students who couldn't leave that easily. So we still, as essential personnel, had to make sure that we were able to get food for these students because at that point, some of them, I think all of them were in quarantine. They weren't allowed to leave. There was a period of time when they um, wouldn't allow any of the Grubhub Uber drivers even to come onto campus. You know, you right. know, I'm sure you know, like everybody, it was changing so fast. And one day it was this rule, and next day it was that rule. But through that really tumultuous time, which I guess was maybe March 
and April uh, and a little bit of May of 2020, there was a small and mighty force of dining service team members that came to work every single day and made sure that we fed those students. And it was an opportunity, I think, for us to show that we are, you know, more than just the background maybe of the college, you know, whatever the services that the college provides, food service sometimes just takes a back seat. But it's a lot more than that. And I think we had the opportunity to kind of get on the map a little bit with our administration to see just how important it is. And also at that time, there was a lot of not so flattering memes coming out from uh, students from NYU, I think it was, sending pictures of kind of not so attractive looking meals that they were being given from, um, they were in the same situation, I guess. And a lot of it looked like hospital food to, to give you an image. And our food kept getting really good ratings and unsolicited thank yous and accolades from a lot of our students at the time. And I think that really resonated with the rest of the campus, just how important it was that we were able to hate the pivot word, but to pivot and change and to do what needed to be done. And then as the months rolled on and we started coming back slowly, we had to physically revamp the entire place so that it could be in accordance with what the the then Board of Health rules and regulations were in terms of plexiglass and distancing and all that kind of stuff. And doing this on a string budget, it really took a lot of creativity and changing everything about the way that we do it without investing too much money. I think we ended up spending about $2,000 on plexiglass and the rest of it was done in-house with me (laughs) and a couple of my staff members physically lifting things and turning them around in the opposite direction so that there was no more self-service, things of that nature. And even today, now that we're sort of back to normal, we don't have the plexiglass anymore on, on most of the stations, but we maintained that style of service because it's a lot more manageable in terms of serving large groups of students at once and still being able to have control over what foods are being wasted, what foods are possibly leaving without being paid for, overproduction. So we're really able to even fit in with some of our sustainability initiatives by doing it this way. It's a lot less waste. Yeah, that was one of the biggest change uh, of late. Let's take a look at the many venues that Dining Services runs one by one, discussing the types of food available, the customers these areas traditionally serve, and roughly how many people eat there per day when classes are in session. So So, let's let's start with the Campus Center Main Cafe. Right. So the Campus Center, obviously, that's the biggest of all, and it has the capacity to fit 475 people in the main dining area, another 100 people in the Green Dolphin Lounge, which is adjacent to the main dining area. And then the Park Cafe, which is in the 1C building, is the separate uh, restaurant area. Okay. So the main cafe is really the, I'll use the word, cafeteria. It's the main, <laughs> it's the main hub. It's the, uh, the biggest area. And it had, at this point, it still has the design of food service, which is more or less like a uh, modified food court type of thing mm-hmm. where students can uh, see the different areas delineated by signs, salad bar, deli, smoothie area, flat top grill, which does the fryer later food and, you know, the fast food kind of stuff that you would expect to see in McDonald's and whatnot like that. But it's a lot better. Okay. Uh, then we have our pizza area as well. 
and a dessert and coffee and beverage station. So it's like a typical layout that you would expect. Mostly we see our resident hall students, our commuter students, a couple of faculty and staff here and there, mostly the ones that are in our building, that are base customers. Right. And then that space also is used frequently for large special events because it's the biggest venue on the campus that lends itself well to that style of service. How about the Park Cafe? So the Park Cafe is um, it's a 50-seat restaurant, looks like a restaurant, used to function like a restaurant. We would have servers, waiters, and menus. People would come in, sit down, be presented with a menu. We would take your order and then serve you just like you would expect in any other type of sit-down restaurant. Ever since we shut that down from COVID, we have reopened it for special event space. And we do have the menu available because the menu is a little more upscale, a little more fancy than the typical fare that you would expect from the, the regular calf. And uh, we just don't have the labor anymore. I don't have enough people. And even if I did focus people to work in that area, it's really just stretching our labor budget so thin because it takes a lot of extra people to do a, a sit down a la carte service like that. So what we've done, and I think it's working out well, is anybody who wants to have a either a special meeting or a special event, they can book the space. And we've had a lot of that lately. And if anybody is coming in to buy their food and they ask if they could sit in the restaurant, maybe they're having a little faculty meeting or, you know, two or three people getting together and they don't want the noise, uh, the din of the, you know, the whole main calf sound around them. So we just let people sit in there as they like. And like I said, using that space for special events has been very popular for students and staff and faculty events. And we also have the Bits and Bites Cyber Cafe. Yeah, which we need to change that name. That's very outdated now. But that's was closed all through COVID, and we reopened it when we came back last semester. And we reopened it with the new look because we're sharing the space with our partner, Sushi Doe. So half of the cafe is now being operated by an independent operator who hand rolls fresh sushi and bowls and boba teas. And then the other smaller half, the Starbucks area, okay. we do a limited menu there, plus all the Starbucks drinks. And we also have uh, still our partner, the Chili Foods Halal Truck, which is parked right outside the Cyber Cafe, but customers who utilize the halal card are certainly welcome to bring their food in and sit in the cafe as well. Okay, and we'll be talking about the halal card in just a bit. One more, the Dolphin Express food card. Could you discuss that a little bit, please? Sure. We put that in the Center for the Arts, trying to give some of our students and or you know faculty another option to be able to grab a grab-and-go quick coffee, sandwich, muffin, something easy, who maybe couldn't take the time to walk to either all the way to the south side where the cyber cafe is or all the way to the north side. It's a big campus. Right. So Center for the Arts is kind of right smack in the middle. And so we were operating that food cart pretty much since we've been here, since we moved over. And once again, after we closed down, there's just not enough traffic either in the building nor on the campus just yet. To, um, to warrant adding that service back. So it's still sitting in there. 
and we have used it a few times for when we do any special events because it's a nice cart. It's, yeah. it's a wood cart. It's attractive. It's got some brass and some wood, and you can lay food out on it, and, and it has a nice appearance to it. We've also used it for um, some concession-style items when we had special events over there, and it's just an attractive way to display some food stuff. So it's still sitting there, but it's unfortunately not being used on a regular basis. And you mentioned earlier the Halal 101 food cart uh, that came to campus a few years ago. Could you please give me some background on how that came to campus and how popular it is with the community? Yeah, sure. So uh, there had been a request to have Halal food options for a long, long time. We used to try to provide it ourselves. I had a Halal vendor. We had bought special grills that were separate from our our regular grills so that they wouldn't be cross-contaminated with some foods that would not be acceptable for anyone who's maintaining a halal food diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And we could not do it well. We did try. We also partnered with a local deli to try and get some of the items pre-wrapped so that we could have those items available. But the quality of the food is not the same when it's transported it's not the same as when it's being made fresh to order so for a while i was actively seeking to partner with a halal you know food truck and i was in correspondence with someone who i think he was a queen's college student at the time and uh was all done by email and i was trying to get them to come to campus for a while but the administration at the time did not want dining services to spread itself too thin and possibly give away some revenues to a third party. So there was a little bit of pushback and I just, you know, could not, couldn't get it off the ground. Mm -hmm. And when there was retirement of certain individuals, then all of a sudden I was able to bring the idea back to the new administrators. And then we had a positive response from them. And lo and behold, two months later, we had the halal truck here on campus. And he has been with us, the same one, the same company, since we started. And I am remiss in, uh, I would be grasping at straws if I told you how long it's been. I'm going to guess eight years. That seven long? Or eight years. Wow, I didn't yeah, think it was that long. Yeah, it's been a while. The first contract was a year. Yeah, there's always the black hole of COVID that kind of makes things right. a little bit muddled. But, yeah, I would say I think we're probably in our maybe our seventh year right now with them. Very, very popular. Anytime if you're if you're walking around campus, the line is sometimes 20 deep. I've um, seen that line. Yes. Yeah. What are some of the other dietary needs that dining services addresses and how? There's so many, especially with the meal plans, the onus is on the provider to make sure that you can gain the trust of the people that are eating in your establishment. So when at the beginning of the year, usually right before the fall semester, I'm fielding many emails from parents and students alike saying, how can I be sure that my son who is gluten-free is going to be able to get enough of the items that he needs or somebody is dairy-free or has a nut allergy or there's just a a whole myriad of potential dietary needs. Some of the more serious ones where I know based on what we're able to provide and not provide, then we give allowances for those people to either get 
a limited meal plan or get exempted from the meal plan for the first year. But other ones, they're supplementing with cooking for themselves and they can eat, for example, vegetarian. I'm a vegetarian, so there's not enough for me to eat. And so then I just go through the menu and I show them just how many options that we do have, Mm -hmm. you know, that they could partake of without any issues. But the basic ones are gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, kosher, and halal. Those are the ones that come up the most often. Another service that you provide is uh, special events catering. Tell me about that. It's a big umbrella. So special events catering, it's really anything over and above of our daily operational food services. So there are faculty retirement parties. There are staff or faculty retirement parties. There are celebratory events that come up throughout the calendar year. Then there are some big events like convocation or commencement. Mm -hmm. So there's an opportunity for us to go from $5 a head to $60 a head in terms of what the event is, what the budget is, and what their folks are looking for. So it's we consider our catering to be anything that's over and above our normal operational day. But the special events, the ones where we get to kind of show off a little bit, the most recent one we did was we had a political event. There was a swearing in, I think it was in January in the Center for the Arts. And it was 300 people. And it was a kind of a nice fancy menu. We had some different uh, hot hors d'oeuvres, like a cocktail reception without the cocktails. And they were very impressed. And they, um, you know, outside group was surprised that this was an in-house college cafeteria who did the catering. We always like to get those types of good um, surprise. Who did this catering? Because, wow, it's so good. It's a nice thing to hear when people are positively surprised that it's the college cafeteria that did it. We did an event not so long ago. There was a book lecture. I think it was done through legal studies. And uh, same thing, you know, just picture cocktail receptions without the cocktails, fancy tablecloths, flowers, things of that nature. So those types of special events really gives us an opportunity to kind of show off a little bit and say, listen, we're more than cheeseburgers and fries. We can do this. And the other thing about it is that because we're a self-operating food service, that We're much more flexible in terms of what we can provide because we don't have cookie-cutter menus. We're not subject to a corporate office somewhere in Texas saying this is the only way that you can do this and you have to do it that way. We're able to kind of make things up as we go along so that we can do what we need to do for whatever that particular event is. Same thing for the students with the regular operation. You know, if somebody calls up and says, can we get rice noodles put on the menu? Sure. Boom. Tomorrow, there's rice noodles on the menu. Right. You know, it's one of the advantages of being self-operating, I think, is going off a little bit on a tangent from the special events. But it does give, I think, us an opportunity to really serve and do hospitality well when we don't have to say no to anybody. Okay, that sounds great. Since the establishment of the Dolphin Cove Residence Halls, Dining Services has been offering meal plans. Can you tell me a little bit about the options that are available for students? Yeah, so we have three basic meal plans. So the way it works is that any first-year student who's living in Dolphin Cove for the first year is required to have a meal plan. That's not just our rule. That's the rule in every 
city, state, university, throughout the whole country. That's just how it is. Freshmen need to have a meal plan when they're moving in just because you want to make sure that somebody who's living on their own for the first time always has access to good, healthy food. Mm -hmm. So those, we follow along with the same rules and regulations with that. But then anybody else who's living in the dorms or who's not living in the dorms, certainly welcome to buy any of the meal plans as well. So we have just literally three tiers. There's four tiers, but three main tiers. And they're just separated by dollar amounts. So the highest one, and we gave them names, it's the blue dolphin, the gray dolphin, and the green dolphin. Okay. So the blue dolphin is about $1,900 a semester. And basically the way it works, because we're not designed as an all-you-care-to-eat facility, it, the place is still functions as a cash operation, mm -hmm. the way it was designed and built back in the late 80s. So it works as a debit card, essentially. So the more money you have on your meal plan, the more opportunity you have to buy more food, right? So the okay. blue is the highest one. That would be for somebody who's basically pretty sure they're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner five days a week. And then the gray plan is $1,500. Same idea there. And the green one is $975. So that's somebody who's going to eat maybe two, three times a week. And then we also have a commuter meal plan, which is just $300, and that could be for a commuter student or any faculty or staff who wants to buy it. The beauty of the meal plans is that because of the state law, it's um, automatically tax exempt. So you end up saving yeah. close to 9% off your food bill because it's a, an established meal plan. Are there any other services that Dining Services provides that we haven't covered yet? Um, through the Dolphin Card, we have another fund. It's called Finbucks. Mm -hmm. And that's just another way for anybody who's on campus, part of our community who has a Dolphin card, you can put funds onto your card called Finbucks. And that way you can use your Dolphin card as a debit card on campus. You can use it for vending machines or you can use it for our mobile app. We now have uh, a mobile app where you can order food from your phone and you need to have funds on your Finbucks in order to to complete the transaction through your mobile ordering. And then um, you can either come pick up your food or we deliver it to you. Dining Services provides employment opportunities for students. Roughly how many students work with you and in which capacities? Right now, I have 16 out of a staff of 40 people are our CSI students. Okay. And they work in pretty much every capacity of jobs that I have, positions that are working behind the deli, or working on the cash register, working on the mobile app, you know, catching the mobile orders and bagging up the food, working behind the grill. We have a student on the grill, working in the cyber cafe. I have two students over there. So pretty much in any food service capacity, they're working side by side with our regular union staff. And let's turn to them. Uh, you have hired staff members. So why don't you tell me a little bit about them? There is a mighty core of dining service staff members that have been here. One of them has been here longer than me, believe it or not. So, that, and then the other core of about eight or 10, we've really all been together, I would say between 12, 15, 20 plus years. Wow. So they're called the old timers, right? So <laughs> many of them were with me in Sunnyside when we moved over. So there is like a core of established, these are the people 
that I need in my boat to get the stuff done, right? right? And then, of course, through the years, people leave or what have you. They're not with us anymore. And then you have to hire new people. And that has been a very difficult process over the past couple of years just because the labor market was not very prolific, shall we say. And I was having a very hard time trying to fill spots. And my existing staff members, although they were always eager and loyal and willing to do what needed to be done, they were getting exhausted because some of them were working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And this is pretty hard work. You're on your feet all the time. You're physically working because I couldn't hire anybody. And then when I was able to hire people, you know, if there's not a right fit and it doesn't work well, there's all the HR component to that whole thing. But from this beginning of this most recent semester, it seems like that's coming back a little bit. And I've had more um, viable candidates looking for positions, and I've made a couple of good hires. Good. One of the one that comes to mind, uh, the best one, is I, I really have to get very creative sometimes in how to recruit and looking for staff members and anytime i see that a restaurant closes i or is going to close i have no shame and i reach out to either one time i actually drove to the place and was kind of waiting for some people to walk out and saying hey i heard this place is closing if you're looking for a job and then i give them my card but through some mutual co-workers not in dining services but in some other areas i was told that there was a person who was working at nunzio's pizza which if you're not a Staten Islander, you might not be aware that Nunzio's Pizza has almost been a landmark of best pizza in New York. It's been around for, I think it's 55 years, and they weren't able to come back after the pandemic. They wow. suffered, you know, like everybody else did through Hurricane Sandy, built themselves back up, and then the pandemic just, you know, did the job on them. It was a family-owned business. And so anyway, so this gentleman... He had worked with them for 40 years. And so when we made the connection through a mutual, ah, we'll call it a friend, a work friend, uh, the first thing I said was, are you really, really willing and able to come and work here after being at Nunzio's for so long? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I'm so done with this place. You know, 40 years working for a family-owned business, I'm sure, has its own challenges. Mm -hmm. So I tell him all the time, his name's Robert Della Camera. I tell him that he is a true answer to prayer because <laughs> he is just fabulous. He actually revamped our entire pizza program. He told us all of the, the secrets of how, to, how they made the dough, how they made the sauce, how they pressed the pizza. And we retrained some of our other staff. And I think that our pizza, which... I always thought it was okay. I mean, we're, we're always buying good, fresh ingredients, same stuff everybody else, restaurant owners are buying. But there was a finesse missing about it, and he shared that with us. And so now we have really, really, really good pizza. And um, he's just a great guy, and it's just a pleasure to have him aboard with us. He's been with us, I think, since August now. It's going on a while. Jody, what's your favorite part of this job? I have would have to say my favorite part, there's a couple, but the first thing that I would have to say would be the fact that it's a hands-on, physical, make-it-happen, boots on the ground, just being able to be actively in my job and being able to do so many components of what makes us run. 
So just being able to go from in the kitchen to cooking, to being out front, to leading and managing my staff, to being in the office and to doing some menu and recipe creations, to having partnerships with other offices on campus and helping them to do what they need to do through food service or through whatever support we can give them. I like the fact that I don't have just one thing that is my job. My job is a myriad of things, and I'm a person who does not sit still very well. So that's, that serves me very well to be able to do a lot of different things in the scope of what my job is. And the fact that I had mentioned a few times this, the core staff of those of us who have been together for so long really just feels like we're all invested in each other mm-hmm. and in what we're doing. And it's nice to be around people every day that bought into the mission of let's get it done. And what's the most challenging part of this for you? The challenges, well, I would say when you're dealing with a lot of different people and a lot of different personalities and being the leader, absorbing all of people's concerns and then always trying to just reflect back positivity and getting people back on track, dealing with human nature can be very, very challenging. And we have a very big staff, so trying to mediate sometimes between staff conflict and whatnot, that's always a challenge. That and the fact that, you know, we're on a string budget. So there's times when, you know, we're operating and we're making things happen as best as we can when we have 30% of our equipment down at any given time because it's just end of life and we haven't been able to get a new one yet because kitchen equipment is very expensive. Getting back to our pizza, we have a pizza dough mixer that to buy it brand new would be $65,000. Ooh, I never thought it was that expensive. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the stuff, the convection ovens that we have, they are from 1994. So there's a lot of challenges trying to navigate and trying to get things done sometimes when we have stuff falling apart around us. Finally, what does the future hold for dining services at CSI? Well, on the short term, I'm really actively seeking more partnerships with local owner operators in terms of food trucks and or local restaurants, again, to, to come onto campus and to be part of what the daily uh, food offerings are so that we can continue to offer more variety. Things like halal and sushi, these are specialty items. I can't do it well. We can't do it well. I could fake it pretty good, but over the long term, it's just not going to be the same. So reaching out to folks like that, who that's their specialty, makes sense. And I'm looking to do that um, even more with kosher food, empanada guy, even maybe a pizza guy, or just to have other different menu items on campus. Because even though we have a pretty varied menu I remember being in college, and then no matter how many things there are, it's still boring after a while. So being able to partner with some local food operators, I think, is going to be part of our short-term future. And a little bit more longer than that, there's a re-imaging reconstruction project on the table that's been on for a while, but it looks like it's rolling along. So the entire campus center is uh, scheduled for renovation. Phase one will be food service. So 
that's going to be major, major changes. I don't know if I'm going to still be here when that happens. <laughs> it depends on when it happens, but that is supposedly coming down the pipe. Thanks for joining me today, Jody, and letting us know all about the many, many things that Dining Services does for CSI and beyond. And one more thing, if anybody needs to contact you to, say, book the Park Cafe or arrange some kind of catering service, how would they go about doing that? Right through the website. My email is there. My phone number is there. That's probably the easiest way to do it is to find my contact information or just to kind of pop in if you're on campus. I'm here often, so, um, you know, love to see people face-to-face and uh, have a conversation, so that works too. Okay. Thanks again, Jody, for taking the time to talk to me. Well, Terry, thanks so much for being interested in talking about this. I'm just honored that I have the opportunity to speak about what I'm very proud of what we do here on campus. So thanks for asking all these questions. All right. Take care. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. Coming up next week, David Pizzuto rejoins the show with another exclusive interview on CSI Today Talks. Check us out, as well as all the newsmakers at CSI, on www.csitoday.com, and be sure to subscribe. We'll see you next week, right here on CSI Today Talks. Thank you for listening to this edition of the CSI Today Talks podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get alerted for brand new episodes and to listen on demand to your favorites. Be sure to check us out at www.csitoday.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.